Keep your Bibles open there at that passage and uh, let us <clears throat> excuse me, come before God and let's pray together. Lord, each week we meet together here in this place. We open up your word. Lord, we read from it, we listen to it. Lord, help us not to be complacent. Help us not to uh, trivialise. Help us not to, I guess, grow that accustomed to just hearing it read and preached that you know, it just does not have the impact that it should have in our lives. Lord, help us to know that this is indeed your word to us. The very word of the almighty, all-sovereign, all-glorious, all-righteous God. And it is a life-giving word. A word that brings light to the eyes, to the heart, and to the soul. We thank you for it and ask now that you give us ears to hear, soft hearts to receive those things that you would say to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, currently we're in the middle of a three-part series on discipleship as it relates to the purpose of our church here at North Pine. Remember, we've, uh, we did a series of three sermons on, the, uh, on what our purpose is as a church. I won't ask you to recite that for me, but uh, hopefully you're, you're sort of starting to, uh, to click with that, that we exist as a church in order to be people who worship God, who proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do that in order that people might come to know God in a personal way that people might come to, uh, to, uh, to follow him uh, obediently and that, that people will also come to serve him faithfully. In other words, to become fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And the life of a disciple that we've looked at, it revolves around three key areas that we're going to focus on this, uh, this particular year as a church, the areas of, of know, grow and sow. Okay, very easy to remember. They all rhyme, uh, very simple words, and I trust that those words will continue to ring in your hearts and in your minds as you think about your walk, your, your journey of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, and we saw that our supreme need is to know God. Not just to know things about God, but to truly know God in a deeply personal and intimate relationship. That we need to be reckoned, that our, that our deepest need is to be reconciled to Him, to be brought into a, a new and living relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer in that particular letter to the Ephesians was that having been reconciled, having been made right before God through Jesus, that believers would be given this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That is to know who God is and to, to understand what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He prays that this won't just be a head knowledge, but that it will be a, a knowledge that, that truly that, we, that is internalised. That he says that I, that I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened. In other words, that it will, will reach deep down into that, that which, which brings about those deep convictions of our lives. Those things that we put into practice day by day. 
When we have a proper and right understanding of God, we learn that, 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 that when we understand that all the things that God has done for us in Christ, that this knowledge then will, uh, should lead to uh, the basis of, of a right behaviour. When we come to know the, the hope to which God has called us in Jesus Christ. When we come to understand those riches of our glorious inheritance in Christ and the fact that we ourselves are God's inheritance. That when we understand the, the immeasurable greatness of his power that is, that is available to us in our lives every day, that those kind of things will start to truly transform our thinking and our attitudes and our motivations in our life and therefore change our behaviours. For we, when it comes down to it, we, we really act out of what we know, what we truly believe. That is how we act, that is how we make decisions, how we, how we live our lives. We do so out of what we truly believe deep down in our hearts. So this knowing really should lead then to a growing in our lives. And that's what Peter uh, seeks to emphasise here in this passage this morning, the importance of disciples to grow. So the question this morning before us is, are we ready to grow? Are we ready to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ? Peter begins by telling us a very, very important fact in this passage this morning in, the, in verse 3. And that fact is, he says, his, that is speaking of Jesus, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That by his divine power, Jesus has given us all that we need, all of the spiritual resources that we need in order to lead a life that pleases God, to live a godly life. Now, a godly life is, is not something that is just, you know, for, just for a few special people, just, you know, for them to experience in their lives. What we might consider to be, you know, those really super spiritual people. You know, the people I'm talking about. Sort of, there's just this godliness that just oozes from them. That's not just God. God. What Peter's saying here in this passage is that, you know, it, that kind of experience is not just for a few individuals, but really it is for all believers. All who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we are told here that Jesus, by his divine power, has given us all that we need. All that we need in order to lead godly lives. Now just think about that for a moment. I mean, do you sometimes wonder about your own Christian walk, your own spiritual life, do you sometimes wonder if there's something missing? Does it sometimes feel to you as though there is something missing? That the reason you struggle so much and that you don't experience the joy and vitality you know that God wants you to experience in your relationship with him is because you might be lacking something? Well, Peter's making clear here that Jesus graciously and generously, okay, there's a, in, the, in the original language, there's this, there's this real emphasis on, on graciously and generously gives. 
It's like this, 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 um, you know, these benefactors you get sometimes of charities and things who give exorbitant amounts of, of money and things to, to these charities. Well, that's what Jesus has done for us. He is our great benefactor. He's given us graciously and generous, generously all of the spiritual resources we need in order to live a godly, holy life, a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful in our world today. All of the spiritual resources we have been equipped with. And all this came to us because of the fact that Jesus revealed his glory and his excellence to us. It says through our knowledge of him. That Jesus has given us this knowledge of himself. And not only that, he's also graciously made us recipients of all of his precious and very great promises. That is all the promises to do with our salvation. Forgiveness of sins. That, That righteousness of Christ that has been credited to our account before God. The fact that, you know, as Romans says, there is, now no full, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer need to, to fear the judgment and the wrath of God because Jesus has paid for our sins. That we have received adoption of, as sons into his family. That we've become heirs of all of the eternal blessings that belong to Jesus. We have God's presence with us through his indwelling Holy Spirit who is himself the seal, God's seal of ownership on our lives. We continually receive God's comfort, his peace, his joy, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his provision, his protection, his guidance. All of these things God has promised to us and because we have been, because we have been connected, because we've been joined to Christ through faith, all of these things are now ours. And Peter goes on to say that they've all been given to us in order that we ourselves, in fact, might become partakers of the divine nature. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, that one day we will be like Christ. Is that sinking in? Is it really, really sinking into our hearts this morning that we have become so connected to God in our relationship through Jesus Christ that all of God's riches, his blessings, his power is available to us as his treasured possessions? That all of the promises that are, that are recorded of regarding our salvation in the, in, in the Bible of God's you know, plan that started before the creation of the world, all of those promises are yes to us in Jesus Christ. 
and that our hope is that one day we will finally experience the fullness of our salvation and that we will be made to be like Christ. Well, because we belong to God in Jesus Christ, because all of these things are promised to us, Peter then goes on to say that we will escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We know that from that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that we have received a new nature. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That nature is Christ's. We've received the, the very nature of Christ implanted into us through his indwelling spirit. And although it's not fully developed within us, which is what the whole process of sanctification is about, which we spoke about a bit earlier in the year, that process where God continues to work in our lives to make us more and more into the image of Christ, to become more and more like Christ in our attitudes, in our, in our behaviours and things like that. Although it is not fully developed within us, we, we won't fully uh, um, experience that until we, uh, until we receive our glorified bodies there in heaven. But we are guaranteed of our internal inher- eternal inheritance that we will ultimately escape from the consequences of sin. That we will not face the judgment of God in terms of our sin. But instead, we will be received wonderfully and warmly into the kingdom of God as his precious children. So it guarantees us of our eternal inheritance, but what it also guarantees us, this new nature, is that it provides us with the ability to be able to say no to those sinful desires that cause so much corruption and decay and destruction in our lives today. We, will, we are given the, uh, the ability to be able to flee from or escape that corruption in our everyday lives, that sin's influence in our everyday lives. This is what Roman, Paul talks about in Romans 6, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we are slaves to righteousness. That through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we've been given the power of God to say no to sin, to say no to our sinful desires, to be able to... to, to Beat them into submission, if you like, in our lives and to have victory over them. We can obey God instead. Well, in light of this knowledge, Peter then goes on to give some, some ethical imperatives, if you like, of how then this should translate into our everyday lives, how we should live. He says, this is who you are in Christ This is all that you've received. This is all of the resources that are available to you. Therefore, this is how you should live. This is what you should endeavour to to live live your lives in in, in this way. And he goes on uh, to list several, uh, seven um, um, qualities, if you like, that we need to add to our faith, that faith in Jesus Christ. He says, for this very reason, verse 5, he says, for this very reason, make every effort... Make every effort. Now, here we see again that we have a part to play in this process and that it involves for us hard work, discipline, 
but we labour with God's help. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, but, the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Talking about the apostles. I worked harder, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul is saying here that there is a, a partnership involved. That I work, but I work with the power that God supplies in me to do that very work. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul says, Him, talking about Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says. I just diligently work hard. I exert an, an, an incredible amount of energy and effort in this, in this task. But I struggle with all whose energy? God's energy, his energy, that powerfully works within me. It is a partnership and we have, a, we have got a part to play. As I said last week, we can't just think, you know, this, this mentality sometimes that exists in Christian circles that it's about let go and let God. That's rubbish, folks. We have a part to play and God has a part to play. And yes, we cannot do anything in order to earn our own salvation. But we, like Paul says in, in, in Philippians 2, we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Folks, growing in godliness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It takes effort on our part. We need to be people who are, who are prepared to, to put in the effort to read and meditate on Scripture, to prayerfully seek God's wisdom and guidance in our lives, to, to regularly meet with one another like we do here on a Sunday or in home groups during the week and to serve alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ as we endeavour to use those gifts which God has given us as part of his body in order that we all might come to unity in the faith and mature in the knowledge of the Son of God. We're to put on our spiritual armour every day and fight the good fight of faith. We're to run the race with endurance and perseverance. We're to be disciplined in our discipleship. And yet we do so in the knowledge that Jesus himself through his divine power, has given us all of the resources we need through imparting his life to us through his Holy Spirit. That's a great comfort, isn't it? Yeah. Spiritual growth involves development of Christian graces and character. And as I said, Peter identifies several of these in the verses that are before us. And uh, these kind of lists were fairly common at this particular point in time in, in the first century. There was a number of these kind of virtues, if you like, which, which were kind of distributed, which people were sort of, you know, which were held up to, uh, to communities. Basically uh, sort of saying, you know, these are the kind of things that you really should endeavour to, to, you know, to have in your life. They are admirable, admirable qualities. So Peter is sort of taking something of, of, of what was, you know, fairly common knowledge in his day, but applying them in a Christian context. In fact, there are a number of these lists in the New Testament. We see one of them in Galatians 5, 22 to, 20, to, to 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. 
Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Paul writes to the church and says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. We see another similar list in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, where, where Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, talking about the, uh, you know, the sinful lusts and, and the desires of, of, of the human heart, but instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And, Paul, and Peter gives a very similar list here. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, some um, have some commentators have, uh, as they've studied Peter, see that uh, the reason why Peter may have chosen these particular uh, qualities is because they are in fact the opposite of the qualities that, that Peter will go on and attack in the false teachers in chapter 2 of his letter. These false teachers that were a part of the church and were leading people astray. They were practicing, they were practicing qualities that were, that were completely opposite to what Peter uh, um, talks about here. So this list that Peter has for us isn't in a necessary logical or chronological order, if you like. But what it does describe is a, is, is a well-rounded description of, of, a Christian, of Christian character. Of those kind of things that we should endeavour to, 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 uh, to foster and nurture in our lives. And that each of them needs to be developed in conjunction with each other. That it's not a selective list. You can't just say, oh, I'll just choose this one and this one and this one. But we need to encompass all of them in our lives. So let's quickly look at each one then. Virtue. Virtue is a word we don't often hear about these days. But what it actually refers to is a, is a moral excellence or a goodness. That kind of attractive characteristic of, of people who kind of like stand out above the crowd. Almost that, 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 that kind of heroic kind of, um, of, of characteristic of a person who just exudes you know, goodness and a real moral excellence about their character. And what you know, Peter's saying here is that our lives, we need to develop this so that, that our lives reflect something of that, that Christ-like, attractive character of Christ. That's what it's really referring to, Christ-likeness. And that our lives should indeed reflect something of that attractive character of Christ in our lives. And along with virtue, we need to, we need to also think about knowledge. Which, Paul, which Peter is speaking here about a, a correct insight, if you like, to have, it, to have a, a correct understanding of what is, what is good and bad, right and wrong, to have a, a real practical wisdom in our lives. To know God's ways. And to knowledge self-control. Here we get back to that whole self-discipline thing again. To be truly disciplined, to have control over our passions, those sinful desires in our hearts and in our lives. What it's speaking about here is that it's carrying with it the idea of submission, that self-control is submission to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, Paul says to the, uh, to the church in Galatia, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit of God, come under His direction, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Exercise self-control. So self-control, perseverance. means bearing up under trials, not giving up. You know, it's not about this kind of stoicism. You know, this whole stiff upper lip kind of attitude? It's not about stoicism that's, that, uh, you know, that just, you know, we've, got to, we've just got to bear up under things. That's not what it's talking about here at all. But what it's talking about is, 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 a, is a real kind of perseverance that, that, that stems from a faith, a trust, a deep trust in the promises of God in our lives. A deepened awareness, if you like, of God's, of, of, of God's loving and wise hand at work in every aspect of our lives, in both the good and the not so good. When we have this, this, this kind of deep conviction in our hearts that, you know, that we know that God is good and that all, God works all things together for the, for the good for those who love him have been according to, been called according to his purpose. When we have that deep trust and understanding and belief in God, that then, then we can, we can have this perseverance knowing that, you know what, God is with us. He's going to get us through. And he's got a purpose in this. And if I trust in him, if I walk closely with him, if I keep depending upon him in prayer and in humble humi- in humility and, uh, and, and, and trust, then, then God will indeed work out his purposes in our lives. And he'll grow us in our faith. And he'll make us stronger in our faith and in our trust in him. It's the same kind of attitude that we read of Jesus in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, where the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, lay also, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That life of faith that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is not only our example, but is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one in whom our faith began and the one in whom is is working to bring about the fullness, the completion of our journey of faith, that faith that God has placed within our hearts. Jesus himself, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross that Jesus was able to trust his father implicitly even by going to the cross, despising its shame, and is, but is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the kind of attitude we can have and the kind of attitude we need to, we need to nurture and develop in our lives, this aspect of perseverance. And then there is godliness. Add to perseverance godliness, which refers to, refers to a, a real sincere devotion to God, a true worship of God. Having a right reverence of him, having a right understanding of his holiness. We're in our home group at the moment. We're, we're doing a study on the holiness of God. And of, we've been looking in Isaiah at, at, at the, the people of Israel and, and the way in which they responded to the holiness of God. And believe me, it's not good. They despised God. They showed contempt for God. In fact, they actually asked their teachers to teach them things which went against God's word because they didn't want to hear what God said. But godliness refers to instead this sincere devotion to God, a right and proper reverence of him, properly honouring him and adoring him in our lives. 
And to this godliness, brotherly kindness. That genuine love towards our brothers and sisters in the faith. Folks, that's the distinguishing mark, Jesus said, of in fact a true disciple, isn't it? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this kind of love, Jesus says, people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. That brotherly affection, that brotherly kindness really should be the the way in which people understand that we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we need to, again, nurture that and work work hard on it in our lives. And it concludes with love, which, of course, is the crowning grace, isn't it? Paul says in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love, love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not consist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says, so now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the crowning grace of the Christian life. Jesus, when asked what is the greatest commandment, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. All of the commandments are summed up in that in that." In those two commandments. Love means this active goodwill to those around us, wanting their best. And Peter goes on to say that if these qualities are yours and increasing in verse 8. Now we've got to stop there for a second and say, hmm, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, well, Are these qualities there? In fact, are they present in our lives? Can you see them at work in your life? Can you see evidences of them in your day-to-day living for Jesus Christ? And are they growing? Are you growing in these qualities and characteristics? Because true spiritual growth, folks, means that they will be. They will be. And if they are present, Peter says, if they are present and increasing, then we are assured then that that we will be neither spiritually useless nor unfruitful in our lives. I'm pretty sure that if I was to ask everyone here in this room today, if you wanted to be known as a person who is spiritually unfruitful and useless, you would say, no way. No, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be known like that. Well, Peter says, you know what? If these things are present in your life and you are increasing in them, then you can be guaranteed that you won't be such a person. Fruitfulness brings to mind John 15, where Jesus says that if we abide in him, the vine then we will bear much fruit. 
So there's the key to spiritual, there is the key to spiritual growth, folks. Abiding in Jesus Christ. Remaining connected, joined with him. Dependent upon him and all of the things that he's given us. On the flip side, however, the believer who fails to exhibit these things in their lives, Peter goes on to say, is the person who is nearsighted or blind. That he or she is as good as blind to the reality of their spiritual position in Christ. And because they're blind, that, uh, that they're blind to the purposes that God has called them to. Having delivered them out of darkness, out of spiritual darkness and into his kingdom of light, having delivered them from sin, they still want to walk around in darkness. There's a, there's a foolishness about that, don't you think? As a consequence, these people will be spiritually useless. Folks, the fact that we've been given, the fact that we've been given all that we need to live godly lives by the power of Jesus Christ, it should lead us to want to make every effort in our lives to grow spiritually, don't you think? The fact that Jesus has given it all, given all of himself for us, that we would want to grow in him and grow spiritually, adding these various qualities to our faith. We need to be diligent in that, to have a sense of eagerness coupled with urgency in nurturing these things. Peter says that, um, uh, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm. Verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We need to be diligent. Again, this, this hard work and discipline comes through again in this, in this few short verses to us. But in this way, if we do that and we see these things increasing in us, then we can affirm to ourselves that we indeed belong to God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the, the, uh, the Apostle John writes, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that is Jesus, ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. If we are walking in the same manner in which Jesus walked, if we are growing in our faith, if we are growing in these kind of uh, qualities and, and uh, virtues in our life, then we can be assured in our hearts that we truly are, do belong to God. We can have a spiritual assurance. First John chapter 5 and 13, the reason John wrote the first, his first epistle was to give believers in his day a real assurance that they belong to Jesus Christ. In fact, he writes towards the end of the letter the reason why he wrote the letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And he gives a whole series of tests in First John as to how people can know that they belong to Jesus. And folks, we can today have that same kind of assurance by seeing the work of the, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as these kind of qualities, as we work on them and as they are, as they are formed and as they grow and as they develop in our lives, it gives us an assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. There are many Christians today who struggle in our world because they just lack the assurance of their salvation. They struggle and wonder whether or not, am I really saved? Am I really belong to God? 
And it keeps them in this sense of spiritual depression and of this, this place of unfruitfulness and hopelessness. And God doesn't want that. He says, as you work with the power of God at work in you, as you see these qualities and as you nurture them, then you will have assurance that you, intru- that you truly do belong to Jesus Christ. Not only that, it says it will keep you from falling away. That there won't, there won't be a, a reversal, if you like, of our salvation. It ultimately will mean that the Lord will open wide the gates of heaven for you. Verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you. That, that word there means you know, God just opening up his arms. Just so, like you know, the, you know, the father in, uh, in, the, um, in uh, Luke 15, the father of the prodigal son, how the prodigal son returns and his father just runs down the road and throws his arms around him and embraces him and hugs him and kisses him. That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of picture we're seeing here in this, in this verse. Of God just warmly waiting to embrace us into heaven. What a picture, hey? Folks, the acid test of the genuineness of our faith is that we will either choose to make costly changes on the basis of our identity in Christ, changes that are geared to spiritual growth. A growth that results in giving us the blessings of a life that is useful and fruitful to the Lord. That, result in the, that results in an, an, a genuine assurance in our hearts of our salvation, that we truly belong to Jesus. That results in, 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 in keeping us from stumbling and falling away from Jesus and our faith. But in the future, we'll also guarantee us of the hope of being welcomed into heaven by the wonderful arms of our Saviour. Where hopefully we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Or, on the opposite, we will just be prepared and content to just wander through life aimlessly, stumbling, Struggling, worrying, living unproductive lives, constantly questioning whether or not we truly are saved and being constantly fearful of God's judgment when we finally have to face it. Folks, they're the choices. They're the choices. So are you ready to grow? Obviously not. Are you ready to grow? Yes. Then let's make every effort, hey, with that divine power of Jesus that's work, that is at work within us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for, again, this challenge from your word about the fact that we are indeed, as disciples, not only to know you, but we are to grow. Grow not only in our knowledge of you, but to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in these very qualities and characters of Christ in our lives, that we have to make every effort, that we have to put in the hard yards to be disciplined in that. But we do so in the knowledge that you are there striving for us and with us in that, that that is your purpose. And so we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you love us enough 
to want to see us grow, to want us experience, to want us to experience all of those blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, and to live God-honoring lives here in this world, pointing people to you. Amen.